This is episode 62, Inclusion, featuring Speechy Morgan. And we're back with another episode of SLP's Wine and Cheese. I'm Deb. And I'm Maria. And this is our podcast. For the realistic SLP. Mm-hmm. Who's thirsty? Very thirsty. What are we drinking, you might ask? A $32 bottle of wine? Thir- 48 48 Yeah. What? We went from an $8, $9. Let me taste this. We went from a $9 carton of wine yes. to a bottle of a 2016 the Grenacheista, the Grenacheista. It's a 2016 Grenache, Grenache Noir from mm-hmm. Dry Creek Valley. It is very fancy. I am very pleased. I feel like we're moving on up. It has a full mouth feel. Well, that's what uh, vintage and expensive taste will give you, Deb. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Anyway, <laughs> I think we got a little too. I got a little too excited with that wine. All but right. I want. I do want to tell you about it. Okay. This wine was gifted to us by this company, so thank you very much for this wine. Someone fighting for the cause of the Grenache grape. Oh, this you, you we had this. Oh, this is just the red version. This is the red version. This okay. is uh, the uh, Noir. It's a 2016. They the grapes come from California, and it's their first vintage from this legend of a vineyard in the far northern reaches of Med. Mendocino County. It's just mm-hmm. 12 miles from the Pacific at 2,400 feet in elevation. It's a cooler site. Mm. So do you taste the cranberry mixed with forest floor and bramble burst from the glass? I think I definitely taste forest floor. Yeah. And you're going to keep drinking that. And then it has this hard cherry candy and a ripe red raspberry. This is just... This is, it's so... It's got all those... You know, sometimes you read those flavors and I'm like, what is she talking about? Like, I don't taste cotton candy. This is like a forest and a cherry. Yes. <laughs> That's what this tastes like. A forest cherry. It's fermented 100% whole cluster and aged for two years in once used French oak barrels, which give it just a touch oak. of oak. And bottled, unfined, and unfiltered to preserve freshness and laser-like focus. Mm. I didn't even drink this wine yet. I want to bottoms up. Are you all right? I am smelling it here. I mean, it's. Ooh, I think I took strong. like I took like four Ooh. sips, but mm-hmm. I think you're supposed to take one and have long breaks. Because mm-hmm. it is a very full-bodied. Ooh. Um, Ooh, I like it. It's a full palette of experiences. Wow. It's very, can you, you can taste all of like the, um, like the, not floral, oak. but I like, like, I think oak and also like, like the, the oak. plants. I feel like the plants, it tastes like a forest. I never taste tasted like a, a forest, it's, but I think this is what it would taste like. Yeah. Um, James Suckling, I don't know who he is, but who said it definitely is full body with chewy tannins, tannins and plenty of soft, sweet fruit. Blueberry crumble and a touch of candid character character are the main attractions on the nose. And then we have some brie cheese with it. Yes. And it was good. I mean, we needed a little bit more of a smoother cheese with this very intense wine. Full-bodied wine. I like it. But it's good. I vote drink it. Definitely drink it. But like when you drink it, you got to like look cool when you drink it. Like you can't be like, like, you know, you got to like own it. When you drink this kind of wine with this dark color and this intense smell Mm -hmm. with this oak and this. Well, this is not for like trying to get drunk. This is like sitting and sipping casually by the fireplace. Yeah. Like this is, here's a drink that tastes so intense. You can't chug it. Yeah. (laughs) Like a whiskey equivalent of wine. Yeah. 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 So drink it. Slows you down. Slow it down. And that's what you need to do. You need to slow it down. Right. Slow it all down. Based off our stress management episode, right? Yeah, that we wanted everyone to chill out. Now we want everyone to slow down. Yeah. Is is anyone going to get anything done if they keep listening to us? I think so. (laughs) I think half as fast as twice as successful. Nice. You have mentioned that before. Mm -hmm. All right. So check, drink the wine. So let's get right into it. We get a lot of questions yes. on social media and email. In case you don't know our email, we have one. It's called SLP's Wine and Cheese. 
Yes. At gmail.com. So if you don't have Instagram, you could feel free to shoot us an email. So please, we love them. We do. And we want to make sure that we get to all of our listeners. And a lot of times we, um, or Deb will do it. I'll do it too. Occasionally ask the questions on Instagram and you only have the 24 hours, you know, on the story. So if we don't get to them, we're sorry. So that's why we have this segment. So take it away, Deb. Okay. So, uh, we'll do every other one. We're not both going to answer every question because that would take long. Right. Um, but then also I want to mention that stay tuned to after this Q&A. We have a very wonderful interview with Speechy Morgan. Not only is she so useful in terms of the information that she's talking about, she's amazing to listen to because she has an Australian accent. Yes, she does. Yes. So stay tuned for that. And uh, my first question is, it is, do you use phonetics in our career? If so, how do you use it? course in the goldman fristo and in terms of prompt when i'm looking at vowels and different phonemes Mm -hmm. i'm usually transcribing or just like jotting things down like what phonemes i'm going to work out and i write them in phonetics so i feel like this person is asking because they're in phonetics class and they're mad and they're like do i even need this you know it's like what you asked yourself when you took Mm -hmm. like algebra right you do need it. Just, you know, teach yourself the new language. Phonetics is a whole new language and just try your best. Yeah, I, I like phonetics. I don't yeah. use it, though, really that really? much. I no. use it. I know, because I'm always like, wait, what is it? I'm, I'm always like having to look it up again. I don't know it fluently like that. Um, mm. The question that I will answer is, did do you, you want me to ask it to you? or No, because you don't know in what order I'm going. It's fine. It's all right. Did you always want to be an SLP? And uh, my answer is no. I always wanted to be a rock star. And um, SLP was just a more tangible career choice. Mm. Maria. Yeah. um, What do you know about covert stuttering? Have you ever seen this in younger clients? Covert stuttering? Well, that would mean I would have to look up the word covert to so begin covert with means that they're they're stuttering but like they're they're trying to hide their stutter based on like like they're choosing different words they're using oh, circumlocutions yeah, like circumlocutions yeah of course i've definitely noticed that in a bit of the older clients because they're at this point where they know they're gonna stutter they know like usually what sound or what words or when like you know they typically they'll stutter on their name or they'll stutter on the word like butter let's that's just a personal example of experience so i try to catch that stutter i you can kind of tell over time like when they go to say the word and then they probably have a prolongation or a block usually and you're like oh wait and then they say something else and then you i kind of like go back and i'm like were you gonna say something else and mm-hmm. they do say yes and then um you know eventually they'll say it and a lot of times they'll stutter on it and then we just i just guide them through it to like i don't know if i should give it all away but you know like inhaling easy onset light mm-hmm. articulatory contact usually it's like a bilabial sound so i'm like relax your lips and then we could do like a lip trill like mm-hmm. shake it out you know just right. to relieve the tension there and then just try it again and then i'll give it to them for homework words nice yeah that, i feel like that was that was a lot i'm gonna take a sip of wine after that. <laughs> um so the next question, mm-hmm. long-term career plans. I know you said you don't want to be in schools forever. So this is a question that somebody wrote to me. Mm-hmm. And um, so if I were to say what my like dream long-term career plans would be. Put it out there. Um, one, I want to open a preschool that has related services and it's like all in house and we have multiple gyms and everyone gets every service and it's just integrated in the schedule and the curriculum. There is no pushing in or pulling out. It's just what happens throughout the day according to the schedule. Are you looking to do that now? No. Okay. That's like after I have kids, they could, they, I could have little kids, but like not yet, but soon ish. Yeah. Okay. Like not that long. Um, And then I also want to, I really want to make a TV show. So I wrote a treatment and I'm starting, I'm going to write a pilot with Mike soon. And uh, so stay tuned for that. I really want to do that. So preschool TV show, I want to write a book um, and yeah, like private practice stuff. But I guess that'll be, so I guess private practice before I own a preschool but all those things, write a book, private practice, preschool, TV show, um, 
that stuff. Yeah. Nice. I might home like I was thinking I might homeschool my kids when I have them, but I don't know for sure. Mm. I might just own the school that they go to. Cool. Yeah. Nice. And Maria. I'm just thinking about my next vacation, you know? I'm like, Japan all the way. Anybody? Well, that's not your question. This well, is your I'm question. Well, I'm going to answer it anyway. <laughs> you know what? I was like, there's a lot of long-term goals there. Yeah. You know? anyway, I want to do all those things. I just want people to message me if they know stuff about Japan. Like, help me out. Okay. You know? I have, um, I know someone who lives there. So oh, great. I'll put you in touch. Thank you. See? I'm glad I said it. Um, tips for childhood apraxia of speech, specifically vowel distortions for young kids. Okay. In terms of tips... For assessment or for treatment? Hmm. I'm going to go with both. I would say videoing your clients is great. One, because, well, first of all, get permission. Two, you get it because when you're assessing them in the moment, it's hard to really know what's going on. But when you can go back and look at your video, you could really sit there and analyze diff their different structures and like what this vowel distortion sound like and why maybe it sounds like that. And then you could like upload it to your computer or like, I don't know, save file system. I don't know, like some way on an SD card or something. Mm -hmm. And then you can track that over time. And I feel like that'll be great. And that's something you could show parents. And that's a, let's say they're vowel, like distorting the vowel, like E, you know, and if you're focusing on like all words with that E sound, you know, like video your sessions and you can be like, wow, this was like day one. And here's like month you know, two and just see the progress over time. And then okay. you could, uh, yeah, use some video. Take what some are data. some tips to eliciting appropriate vowels? I don't know. What do you mean? Eliciting appropriate vowels? Like, like saying the right vowel that they should be doing. Like sometimes like, um, I guess I don't really see it so much in terms of like expressive output, but like in literacy, like if somebody's trying to like read vowels, I feel like I's and E's and O's are always like, confusing for kids verbally mm. and decoding so how do you like teach them to do the e oh, or the okay. e sound well, no i use prompt and stuff so you use prompt tactile cues but maybe you know if you're not trained in that maybe mm -hmm. some visual cues mm -hmm. you know like e is like oh my lips have to go back maybe you could like pair it with a picture of someone smiling Right. You could like hold it up with the with the mm -hmm. E as you say it and stuff like that. Nice. And or a mirror, you know, mm -hmm. visual feedback. Um, so I'll answer this one. How was your experience applying to grad school? Um, I want to disclose that I applied to grad school a very long time ago. It mm -hmm. was like two thousand nine. We have an episode, right? We do Throw have a whole episode about it. Grad but, school to SLP, I want to say it was like episode 15 or something crazy. Something like, like that. Something, some long episode. So scroll, 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 scroll yeah. and listen to all that because that was a long episode and that was your CF on there. But I think it was totally different back then even. I think we said that too because like I got into all the schools except one and I don't think that's like what happens right now. I think that there's been like a saturation in the field mm. and that it's become quite more competitive. Mm. So my advice to anyone who is applying is to like, make sure your GPA is high, make sure your GRE is high and make sure that you're interesting outside of your grades. Yeah. I was going to even suggest like try to conduct a research. I mean, yeah, a, I didn't like, do anything like that, Yeah, but now, you know, now I think you need a little bit more extra something. Yeah. Doing research. You know, the field needs more research. So if you're showing that you're interested in that. Yeah. I mean, I have never I haven't worked in the school like you have. So I'm just thinking like when we were in school, I know research was a big thing. And if anything, yeah. I could just see it becoming more and more and more popular. Um, so. so now for Maria, mm -hmm. do you feel that getting your national certification was worth it? Yes. Yeah, I, Ash, I mean, I don't I can't imagine not have being ASHA certified. Yeah, I think it's important. Yeah. I like going to ASHA and I yeah. like reading all their emails. And I like getting the leader and I mm -hmm. uh, think it's important. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are like ASHA doesn't do anything. I think there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that goes on. And I think there's a lot of lobbying that goes on. And uh, yeah, you know, I'm just it's part of the field. You it's, know, it's you don't want to be going at it alone right um, exactly. i'm just going in order 
And mm-hmm. the next question is, how was schooling for you? Did you find it hard to get into grad school? Um, so how was schooling for me? I felt like the content of school was much easier than the lifestyle that school required. Um, I did not really feel like any class was too challenging. Maybe acoustics was a little bit hard. <laughs> but acoustics was like a whole new realm. I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, is this what like a whole... <laughs> What um, is this world we're living in that's called acoustics? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the workload, it's not difficult content. It's just like a lot of workload. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of energy. It's a lot of writing. Um, but mm-hmm. it wasn't anything that like I couldn't wrap my head around. Um, did you find it hard to get into grad school? No, I didn't. But it was a long time ago. Um, Maria, do you work with kids with autism? Yes, I do. Okay. Deborah. What are the basic and essential things for a starter SLP at a school? We can both answer this if you'd like. I'm going to go number one SLP toolkit. Especially if you're starting, just get SLP toolkit. I don't know how much it costs right now. There's all different like my um, I've influenced almost everyone in my life to get it. And um, Elizabeth, the SLP I work with, she just got it. And she found a promo that was like five dollars for the first two months. Um, and you can put your whole caseload in there. She and I have both been doing present level assessment on all of our students. So it's so funny to hear her like doing the prompts and then like me doing the prompts because I know what part of the test she's on. Mm. Um, and it's just a great way to keep track of data. I also love all of like the baseline collection, uh, assessments within SLP toolkit because you can just like do whatever you want in therapy the whole time. And then you're like, Oh, I need, some sort of percent accuracy on WH questions and just pull it up, ask these questions, give a flag or a thumbs up whether or not they answered it right or wrong. And then it's in a computer. So then like you have a list over time of just like every assessment that you gave on every day you go. Then every time I have anything less than 80%, I go back and retest until I get to 80 like every month. And then I have bar graphs showing the progress. And then if somebody has a meeting and they're like, what have they been doing? You have graphs. Right. People no one like, argues with graphs. No. Like, it's like, this is the graph of all the wine I like. Here yeah. it is. No one's going to argue. No, I'm kidding. But yeah. Graphs so if are you good. can only get a couple things, I would say SLP toolkit. I've also been using um, my Be- Bajoran uh, speech sound cues a lot. Bajoran. I don't Bajoran? I don't Them. know. Yeah. Um, and I use the Kaufman Praxis, Praxis cards a ton because they're just so huge and colorful with the white background. I think that white background is super important because it's just like isolating one picture. Um, I use those a lot and uh, I create all of my own stuff. I make these like reading comprehension one pagers that I've been using all week, all month and they're helpful. What about you, Maria? What would you tell a new SLP to get? Well, it really depends on what the setting is and the population. But I really like Boardmaker online or Boardmaker because mm-hmm. everything's about visuals. And, you know, you could get these great books. But if your clients, especially if you're working with kids with autism, like I just said that I do, you have to adapt to a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you got to use visuals and you got to use pictured stories. So um, Boardmaker online and you could put a lot of them on the smart board if you're working with the teacher and there's like a, a lot of like pre-made lessons on there too. So you can get like ideas from other people who created lessons mm-hmm. and you can make visual schedules. You can make calendars. You could just work on answering questions and like make your own word, your own questions. And it's, you could even make social stories. So I just think it's great. Board maker. Well, I have online. to check it out. I've never used board maker. Oh yeah. You should use it. I need somebody else who like loves it to be sitting in front of me so I could be like, let me see you do everything you do. So I I like learn through watching and I'll show you. Yeah. Um, The next one is similar. Any advice for the first day as a school CF making schedules must have materials. My advice is that your first day you are not going to do that much. (laughs) Like calm down. You're going to need a list of your kids. You're going to need to look at the schedule. You're going to make you're going to need to make sure the schedule is correct. You're going to find that whoever made that schedule, if they made it for you, 
Or the roster, maybe. Maybe right. it's on a schedule, like a roster of the student list and their mandates, let's say. Right, the mandates might not be correct. Yeah, That's double happened check to me that. a bunch. Yep. Uh, some kids have withdrawn by the time mm. I got to them. Yeah, make um, sure the kids are even in the building. Make sure, yeah. And then also what I've noticed is like sometimes when people are making the schedule for you, the Excel spreadsheet is so long that they don't realize like they accidentally put a kid in twice in one mm. day. And then also I've had people make schedules for me and then somebody has a mandate for twice a week and they put them in three times by mistake. Mm-hmm. Then also maybe this person's not so familiar with the caseload and they paired a kindergartner with a fourth grader because the mandates matched and they didn't realize. Look so, at the date, date of birth. Yeah, you're going to have to review these IEPs. You're going to have to, like, organize your caseload. Yeah, because you don't want, like, mid-March to be like, oh, no, I've been over-serving this kid or I've been under-serving this kid. Or or I never saw this. I never saw little Johnny for speech. That's my biggest fear. That's my biggest fear. Like, anytime somebody emails me a strange name, I'm like, who is that? (laughs) They've always been wrong (laughs) so far, but panic ensues. Yeah. Um... Maria, it's your turn now, I think, right? Okay. Is this my last question? I think so. Is that what you're implying that you'd like it to be? Yes, I would like it to be. Okay. Any assessment advice? Oh, okay. Assessment advice. Uh, Definitely audio or video record it because there's just too much happening at once to jot it all down. Right. And uh, don't uh don't miss don't undervalue i guess the parent questionnaire or teacher questionnaire really talk to the parent there Mm -hmm. they have shown research has shown that they are pretty valid with their responses right no one knows that their kid better than the parent yeah yeah so really and just listen to what they're saying Mm -hmm. so um definitely be a good listener during the assessment um, and that applies for when you're taking a spontaneous language sample. If you're able to do that, really listen and uh, less of the qu- direct question, more indirect. Oh, you know, and and start with the language sample slash established rapport. Get them comfortable to like sitting down and like you and establishing that rapport, building that. And then before you like whip out like, you know, I don't know a Goldman Fristo and don't say we're taking a test. <laughs> We're going to, I like to say, look at this book I have. We, oh, it's really? A book. I always say, we're taking a test. So because right there's now. Because there's test anxiety. And then oh. the research has shown that if you know you're taking a test. You might do it your, your attitude or your behavior changes. So we're just looking at a book. Look at this pictures over here. I Help guess me I turn make the that pages. mistake. Yeah. I, I always mistake, say. But. I'm always like, we're going to take a test. That's all we're going to do. We're not doing anything fun. So don't ask me if we're doing a game. We're not. We're taking a test. But if you do it all, you're going to get to spin this prize wheel without having to earn any points. Now, how about we look at my favorite book? That's what I say. I say it's my favorite book. Oh. Let's look at my favorite book and then we'll get some time to get a sticker or reward. But I usually warm them up with something. Even if it's like two minutes of something. That's good. While I don't you're do like, that. you know, maybe filling out the top and they like, I just do something quick, like a puzzle or Play-Doh or coloring. And it's like, all right, we're going to get a chance to do this later. Even if they like take it a class or right, yeah. they take it and do it home. Later. Mm-hmm. I didn't say you were going to do it here later. You know, you could take this. I just said later. I just said later. Yeah. Okay. You could have been a lawyer. Yeah. Or it's just like when I'm wrapping up or talking to the parent, talking to the teacher and just wrapping it up. Fine. They get two more minutes to finish that activity. Uh-huh. So yeah, that's, that's a good idea. That's better advice than what I would give. Thank you. But I also don't do assessments all that often. Mm. I only do assessments on my own kids. Right. And I already have a good relationship with them. So if I tell them, like, you're not doing anything fun, but you get any prize you want, they're probably like, what do you want? <laughs> like, okay. I want that. It really depends on the setting, but I'm thinking, like, yeah. outpatient or something like that, you know? I yeah. Would let them warm up to you. They have to feel that warmth, and then they'll give you more um relatable realistic answers or responses Mm -hmm. so all right so the last question on here and Mm -hmm. then we are going to move on to our interview how long did it take before you felt confident in your therapy and with work decisions in general i mean i don't think anyone is ever a thousand percent confident in any of these things yeah um but what you can feel confident in is that all of your intentions are to help and that you're good at helping. And I know that I just want to help and that I'm pretty good at helping. And, and I think I come from a position where like I want to make it as easy and attainable for every person in front of me as possible. So um, I've never really felt insecure about providing therapy 
but I will say when I was a CF, I got um, assigned to a preschool. I had um, 15 kids on that caseload and I had no idea what to do. So I got 15 folders mm-hmm. and I just put their names on it. And then I just stuffed the folders with just a bunch of um, like sound letter things. And that was it. Just like just like uh, similar to my coloring pages before I um, before I drew those coloring pages, I just mm. found materials like that, like an A page, trace the A, color the things that begin with A. And I just yes. did. I just put a bunch of worksheets in there. And I, I, so I told myself, like, I don't know what to expect. I will just only come prepared. Yes. And if I have something that the kid is good at, that's good for me to know. And if I have something that the kid is really struggling with, that's good for me to know. And if over time I find that this is not beneficial to this child, I just don't have to do it. <laughs> right. So like, yeah. it doesn't matter. You don't have to like commit over or over commit to everything that you're doing. Just have things to do, learn from what you've done and then make adjustments moving forward. Mm-hmm. But don't like, put this weight on yourself thinking like you have to make an impact right away or every decision that you make right away needs to be perfect because it it's not going to be right it's and not you don't know this person that was very egotistical of you to think that like you can or you don't right. you never met them true and also you know your therapy style will develop over time yeah. and as and as you and the client get to know each other more and they get to know your expectations in the session and just your style so it's just like it takes time to mm-hmm. evolve you know it's not going to be like a one shot but to good. think that you're going to go in there in one shot is just a completely unrealistic expectation I think maybe people to put too much pressure too on much themselves pressure. get that off get that off get that off you are a human you are a one person you are not a psychic right you, you cannot know what you have not been told or taught right. yet you yeah. have to go in and learn and assess Feel free to like establish rapport too and write that yeah. in your session notes. That's what you can write. Write can, what's in this example of <laughs> establishing rapport. Yeah. So and so answered autobiographical questions. Nice. What's Score. your name? Yeah. How old are you? What's your favorite color? And they provided semantically correct responses with 70% accuracy. Maybe like three times they answered wrong. Hmm. You okay. said, how are you? And they told you how old they are or mm. something like that. You know, then that was wrong. 70%. <laughs> something, you know, that's a common one. Nothing great. Yeah. That's you know, I think that was a real rock star of you. Thank you. All your kids 15 <laughs> folders on your first time. Because, I mean, you did want to be a rock star. I did. So, I mean, if Eric Raj has a nice and funky award, I would say Deb wins the Rockstar SLP Award. Yeah, I wonder if that's on the website, slpawards.us. Yeah, there's also the most awesomest future SLP Award or the most awesomest SLP, most therapy materials in my car award. I oh, know I could of, be me. Yeah, like <laughs> turn and the cars start jingling there's away. There's noises at every turn. Yeah. Something's rolling, Something's uh, some sort of music is playing. Like Pop Goes the Weasel. Nice. I like this IP Rockstar Award. All right. Maybe you're just Rockstar. Can rock I just be star. SLP yeah. Rockstar? You could be I'm that. I'm going to have to email yeah. Eric that I need that kind of award. Yeah. So check out the, his website. And also you can Wait, get. Wait, what's the website? SLPawards.us. Okay. Yeah. And you can get free shipping mm-hmm. with the promo code. Wine and cheese, all caps. Yep. And now our interview with Speechy Morgan. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm talking to Morgan Hurst, an Australian SLP. You can find her on Instagram at speechy.morgan. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, So before we get into everything, let's just get a little background from you. Um, Where are you from? Where did you go to school? How did you decide to be an SLP? That kind of stuff. So I am from Melbourne, Australia, um, and I actually, when I was younger, I had, um, oh, hold on, first I'll start with where I studied. So I went to Melbourne University, um, and I did a science degree, and then I studied at ACU, which is the Australian Catholic University, and I did speech there. So I've done 
I think it was about seven years of studying, which was a lot. Um, And now, and I got into speech because when I was younger, I actually had a stutter. So I myself needed a therapy. Yeah. Wow. Um, Yeah. So I had to do therapy for a while. Pardon? Do you still stutter a bit? Yes. Yeah. So I would have a mild stutter um, Mm. at the moment. Um, I think some speeches can pick it up, but I I think people who aren't trained find it very difficult to pick that up. Um, So I thought, why not go into speech pathology and help other kids just like I was supported when I was younger. So um, fluency is a very big passion of mine and I really, um, yeah, I really love um, seeing kids who um, have stutters because I think they can progress quite far and I can, you know, support them to do that. So, yeah. That's just like that quote that's um, be who you needed as a child. Did you ever hear yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. Is that a mantra or... Yeah, I think it was. I think it. I think it is a mantra of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting because I had had a very good experience as a child with a speech pathologist, um, and I think it wasn't until I started studying speech that I really understood uh, why I was there when I was young. So it's a really. It's. A, I just love it. I love being a speechy, and um, I just hope that I can help as many children as I possibly can. I suppose. Yeah. Right. Okay, and how long have you been a speech pathologist? Three years now. So I'm still a little bit of a baby in the profession. Um, Three years. So I've worked in early intervention and now I work in a school and I also work in a private practice as well. So I still get to see my early intervention kids, but um, I work four days a week at a mainstream school. Oh, okay, great. And do you have a favorite setting or uh, a setting that you're kind of like moving to? It's really tricky because I really like working in a school because I get to educate and teach lots of different um, people. So I have a larger reach in a school. It's still similar to what you're doing. Um, But in a private practice, I get that one-on-one therapy and a lot of group therapy um, and I see quite quick change with our with, with our kids that I see. So it's I like the best of both worlds. I think I would be bored if I was in one or the other. I think right. I like the diversity of both roles. Yeah, that's how I feel too. I always feel as though I don't see myself working in one place for 10 years. I, I couldn't mm. that. But what I do like is having like one big main job. And then having like, little jobs around it, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. how I like it. So it is, it's good. I think I could, I think full time in a private practice, I think I might go insane. It's just, oh, yeah. it would be a lot in terms of the mental load, but um, I completely agree. I think having a big job and then having something where I can um, express myself creatively uh, in a creative way um, is just, it's good for me to have both. Yeah, for sure. It helps me like navigate my whole life. So I totally agree with that. And um, so in your school, what populations do you have? Are they um, what we consider general education? I work in gen ed. Okay, so we work, it's going to be tricky to try and navigate through the American Australian education system. Um, But we have prep. So there are five, five to six, all the way through. So ours is primary school. So prep to... um, grade six so they're they're about 12. Oh okay so 12 to what is the youngest? So six, uh, five, five, five to twelve. Five to twelve. Okay. The range. Uh-huh. Yeah so that's a primary school and then they move to to a secondary school but our school's only a primary school. Oh okay. Mm. Is that um, different to you guys? I mean that makes sense it just sounds like elementary and middle for us mm. and uh Actually, lots of places elementary could be considered from kindergarten until sixth. Okay. Um, oh well. Okay, so that's what we do here. Right, but in my school, it's kindergarten to fourth grade, and then fifth through oh. eighth is in middle school, and then high school oh. ninth through twelve. Yeah. Wow. 
That's interesting. So you get to see kinder kids. Yeah. So you see kinder kids as well. Yes. Next year I won't. My new school is only first grade to um, uh, fourth grade. But I have had kindergarten for a while and I really like them. But it's going to be fine. (laughs) Um, So then... Uh, today we wanted to focus a bit on inclusion. So like Mm -hmm. as an individual with a communication issue, did you feel like you ever struggled with inclusion personally as a child? Well, definitely. I didn't have a very good experience as a uh, young person in primary school. I actually got bullied quite badly for my stutter. Um, so yeah, as you can probably imagine. Um, so I think, for me, the inclusion would be to not do certain things. Like I didn't, I hated speaking in public um, right. and I've obviously worked on that as a person and now as an adult, I can do it. But when I was younger, that was my worst nightmare that I would get it up in front of the class and have to have a conversation. So um, I think there could have been more to, more things could have been structured in a better way when I was in primary school, because I feel like for those kids who do have a social, uh, sorry, a communication um, disorder, it's okay for them not to do that side of the curriculum. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, because realistically, am I going to be speaking in front of thousands of people? I'm not sure, but um, I think it's just about having the opportunity to maybe to not do that, maybe to do that in a different way or maybe to be sitting down while giving a presentation or only doing it to a small group of people. So um, I feel like the schools from when I was in primary school have come a very long way, Um, particularly at my school. They do adapt the curriculum to um, help support kids. But, um, yeah, I think when I was younger, it was a bit of a tricky, it was a tricky time for me. Right. Yeah. I can imagine. And so that kind of maybe made you have this background bias that made you want to make sure you increased inclusion just because you didn't want others to share that same experience. So, mm. and it's important because a point that I wanted to make is that um, the whole world is diverse and there's all different people from all different perspectives with all different strengths and, um, areas of difficulty and that's what lends itself to creativity so it's important Mm. to include everyone in order to have the most creative and realistic Mm -hmm. environment I feel um Mm. yeah because you know create we have a diverse classroom we have a diverse world that's just I think Mm. what makes the most sense and I'm sure other people agree with that too it's not like I just came up with that or anything um so how do you think where was i I lost okay so um what are your favorite therapy activities to do right now when you are actually let's not do that one at first first how do you implement inclusion in your school setting so why i'm very lucky because we have myself there four days a week and we also have a psychologist uh four days a week as well so for us as an allied health team working in school, we do a lot of um, teacher support and um, professional learning as well. Um, and I work very closely in the classroom. So I might do some team teaching um, or I might do some observation and then we can discuss um, you know, a, a particular student afterwards. Um, and I also help support the, I, we call them education support, but they're maybe teacher aides in America. Okay. We also um, have power professionals and those people work directly maybe one-to-one with an individual all day. So that would be the equivalent to a teacher aide, so the power mm-hmm. professional. Um, and we, I work very closely with them to upskill and um, train. So I'll uh, go in, have an observation session and then maybe individually support them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just working in a school of, of 800 children, I think it's easier to do the most amount of good if I educate and support the masses right. to then be able to support those, those kids. Right, because you obviously can't give each and every child that individual no. support, but it's, yeah, if you train other people, then they can, that's great. Um, 
But when you are conducting therapy, what's your favorite therapy activity right now? And then also, can you tell me the goal that you're targeting or just one goal? Because obviously activities target many goals. Um, I just like to hear other people's wording. Yes. So I um, recently found a game from actually a different speech pathologist who brought it in. Um, And it's a little, it's actually a very old school game where there's a, there are ducks and they're sitting on a pond. I don't know whether oh, you've yes, ever seen yes, it. I've seen this game. And you press the button. Uh-huh, I'm familiar with it. And this. then the little ducks go around the circle and then you stop it and then they can, um, they pick up a duck and underneath is a shape. Mm-hmm. So what I've done, um, I'm working on articulation with a particular student and each of the cards has three shapes and they correspond to different um, N words, the start of the, of the word. And so after he picks up his little duck, he has to choose, uh, he has to find the shape and then he gets to say his word. So um, he just really likes that activity. I think it's very motivating for him. Um, And a lot of kids just like seeing the little ducks move around. So that's my activity. And I actually wrote down my goal because I wanted to word it correctly. So I said, um, so student X will produce N in the initial position of CBC words. 70% 70% of the time without prompting. So we have moved away from prompting, which is great. Um, so I wanted to see if he could do it without any prompting and support. Oh, okay. I love that duck game. And I also liked how you said that first they have to match the shape and then they get to say their word. You didn't say like, then they have mm. to say their word. You're like, they're invited to say their speech word, which is funny. That I like your perspective on that. Um, so how do you think that, um, how do you think other SLPs can work towards increasing inclusion in special education? Mm-hmm. So I think for me, it's about the education of teachers and the education of, I go even higher to say the department of education as a whole. Um, I think the more that we can educate our educators on what inclusion looks like, the better we have in terms of, the better chance we have in terms of getting um, all kids being able to access a curriculum and all kids being able to attend a school that they would like to attend. So um, for me, it's about explaining what inclusion looks like and helping support the, the teachers with what that means for their classroom. Because it's really hard. We come from an allied health background um, and our, my teachers at, at my school are absolutely wonderful, but they've come from a very different background to what I've done. So I think if we can merge both of our skill set, we'll be able to create, um, you know, the most inclusive environment for these kids. Yeah. And that leads me into my next question, which is what does inclusion mean to you? What does that look like? For me, it looks like all students and all kids having the right to learn the way that they um, can learn in their strengths-based model. So if a child is very visual, they should have the opportunity to be able to do coursework in a visual way. If a child um, really likes to write or he really enjoys uh, music, they should be able to use their strengths in education. Because the reality is after they leave high school and they get, you know, go into adult life and find a job, they will be going into a role that already suits their strengths. So why not start that when they're in school? Right. And you never want to be a part of that story of the successful person who had this awful teacher who didn't mm-hmm. understand them and told them to sit when they wanted to stand and like got mad at them if they doodled on their paper and then they turned into yeah. a pass out. So like, you don't want to be that person. <laughs> No, no, definitely not. And that's it. I mean, for me, if a child is choosing to stand or requires a sit and move cushion, is that impacting on their learning? Probably not. So I think it's just about making those reasonable adjustments and understanding that the classroom isn't going to be a cut copy square classroom with every student doing the exact same thing. Because the reality is every single student is different. Every single student has their own different strengths and um, individual traits regardless of disability so um, I feel like let's build on their strengths and that's 
that's where that we will see them grow. Exactly. And as long as they're remaining 85% still mm-hmm. doing their work, I'm fine with what they're like, if they're standing, if they're kneeling, I haven't lately. My students are trying to sit with their chairs backwards and I'm like, no, I okay. Um, you're not doing that because you're clearly fine and you're like trying to be cool right now (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so why even integrate children with special needs into a general education classroom who benefits from that look I think that there's, there's, there's really two ways to look at this I think that everyone would benefit from having um children with disability in classrooms but I also think before we look at who it would benefit, I think it's a basic human right for a child to be able to attend a mainstream school. Um, And it's a basic human right to be able to have access to that um, education setting. So I feel like it it does benefit everyone, but it fundamentally is is their basic human right to be able to do what other children are doing of of the the same age. Um, But I think, it's important for, um, for everyone to understand that we're all different. So I think it's great for the kids. You know, they're, they're understanding that there's, there are some children who are not like them or there are some children who do things differently to what, to what they do. And that's um, whether that's disability or, not, or non-disability kids. Um, and then for teachers, it's great for them to be able to see that they, have, that they can implement different types of learning in the classroom and that they can differentiate the work um, and they're able to do that across, you know, the 20 or 25 kids that they have in their class. So I think it's a, it's a great opportunity for everyone to be. Yeah. And it's obviously a great opportunity for, our, for the kids who do have disability as well because they're, they're looking at other children who aren't like them and that's okay as well. I think it's about creating the awareness um, of that we are very diverse and I think if we pigeonhole everyone into different settings, that's not what a true reflection of what the world looks like. So I feel like we should, we should just start it now. Just put them all, right. all together and that's what the world is. Right. While including all the necessary adaptations so that everyone can of course. be successful. But yeah, I completely agree with you because that's the reason why we have any sort of social issues within the world because people aren't experiencing diversity in their life. Because so without that, it's hard to teach empathetic thinking and, and seeing mm-hmm. things from other perspectives. So I totally agree with you and I'm, I'm glad. So I asked you what you felt passionate about and I wanted to make sure we centered the um, interview around that. And I, I'm so glad that this is the first point that we brought up in this series that everyone needs to be included. Mm-hmm. And it's not just our kids who have, uh, you know, disability. It's also right. kids who have English as a second language, or it's kids who, um, you know, just don't feel like they um, are confident within themselves. You know, I think it's it's about including every child, um, regardless of you know if there's a formal diagnosis or you know if we if we're putting visuals into a classroom, that's going to benefit ninety percent of of the children anyway. So I think it's right. just about you know adapting the classroom but also you know focusing on that one child with your teacher aides as well so for me it's we could never go wrong with inclusion right I also think it's important because there's this middle class of students that we don't help because they are still typically developing but maybe they're not like finding that intrinsic motivation or they're not engaged so they're not as successful in school but they test normally So the reality of the situation is that all of these assistant things that we provide to individuals with disabilities to help them learn work for all types of developing people. Like we all benefit from um, that biofeedback of a visual and um, having some audio placed with visual, getting all the senses, like a multi-sensory approach. So if we saw that from from the perspective of like what do we need to help everyone then even more ben- people would benefit exactly right we're on the exact same page my friend yeah we would have a better society 
Because I every now and I need a visual, I need a timer, I need extra time. I I, I need visuals. That's me. Visuals and I need either I have to listen to music or I have to have dead silence. So I, we all learn differently. And I think one thing about teaching now, as opposed to when I was potentially at school, was that I think, particularly in, I can only speak from my school, but I think teachers are getting it. I think the differentiation of coursework and I think having more external therapists come into the school as well is um, creating a shift. I think it will take a while, but I do think that we have made quite significant gains in a very short amount of time. Absolutely. So do you have an inspirational quote or mantra that you like to end our interview? I try to think about an inspirational quote. Um, I don't, I don't really use them, but I thought I have a, a sentence that I always say to myself and I feel like it's not very inspirational, but I just say it. So I thought I'd just share that because, um, yeah, I think my inspiration is really my passion for, for speech pathology as a whole. So I feel like, you know, that's why I do what I do. And I, I don't think I have a sentence for that. But I think for me, when I go into a classroom or if I'm working with a student, I always think to myself, what is the functional impact of this? What so is that's my constant that's my constant sentence in my mind whenever I'm doing therapy or I'm doing an assessment or I'm doing a classroom observation. I always think to myself, okay, I, this is what I can see, but what is the functional impact? Because I think if we can start there, it is going to be memorable. It's going to be motivational for the student and it's going to create the largest amount of um, impact on them as well. I, that's amazing. I totally, I'm going to use this for myself moving forward. What is the functional impact of this? I'm going to ask myself that every speech therapy session. Thank you. Um, okay. That's and that's, that our segment for this afternoon and this morning for you. This morning, I know. Thank you for having me. I this is my first podcast, so hopefully I did well. Fingers crossed. Fantastic. Can you before you leave tell the audience where they can find you? Um sure. you contact any type of information. You yep, have. so I'm on Instagram um under speechy morgan um at speechy.morgan. Um, and that's where you can find me. And I also have a website. So it's www.speechymorgan.com. Um, and that's where I am in Australia. Great. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. No Thanks so much. See you.